The Monster in the Woods by Paul Mars You're not to go knocking on all the neighbours' doors asking for sweets? Mum yelled up the stairs before going to watch the end of Crossroads. Ange was upstairs in her bedroom painting her younger brother's face for Halloween. Terry was ten and amazingly patient as she finished off his David Bowie lightning flash. I want one as well, said Ian, who was six, and desperate to be just like his big brother. You're Frankenstein's monster, remember? Ange told him. Ian looked sulky, his face already painted a noxious green. Ange, meanwhile, was a vampire lady, and at thirteen felt that she was lumbered with babysitting her brothers, when she could have been down at the precinct with her mates. But she'd promised Mum she'd take them round the streets to show off their Halloween costumes. A quick walk round the estate, but no banging on doors, mind, their mum had said earlier. Yeah, yeah. Mum was distracted, dashing back and forth to the kitchen, getting things ready for Dad's tea. The chip pan was sizzling. The kids' tea time had been straight after school, as usual. Dad got home much later, after his factory shift and a pint or two at the club. He'd probably be in a stinking mood again tonight. And that was why Mum was distracted. I hate you lot going round the streets in the dark, she said. It's okay, said Ange. All the kids are out tonight. Just make sure you look after your brothers, said Mum. Eventually, the three of them were set loose on the streets, burying their lantern carefully so as not to put out the candle. Ian's eyes were wide with astonishment at being allowed out so late. Halloween was like kids had taken over the world. Of course, the Barnes kids weren't doing the same thing as all the other kids. They had another plan, a secret one. They were going where their mother had strictly forbidden them to go. They were doing something even worse than knocking on doors. They were going down to the woods. The woods were a scrubby, neglected copse by the stream that chugged round the edge of town. Decades ago, the woods had been much wilder, but the council estates were growing larger each year, and even now diggers and chainsaws were poised to rip up yet more of the remaining gnarled and ancient trees. Soon there might even be any more wilderness left in their town at all. Ange warned her brothers to move quietly through the undergrowth. She was the vampiric mistress of the dark, leading the way under the swaying canopy of leaves. Keep as quiet as you can. We don't want Mum or anyone else knowing where we're going. She had made the two of them swear solemnly to stay quiet as they slipped into the shadows. Terry nodded and Ian was mute with excitement. A tiny flame in the lantern guttered and blew out in the chill breeze. Ange turned on her torch and led them into the very heart of the dark woods, to the exact spot where their friend was waiting for them. Starman. Even though he wasn't really a man, and he wouldn't tell them exactly which star he had come from, 
that was their name for him. The three children stood on the damp, mulchy earth, and Ange banged on the outer shell of the den. There was a pause. Then Starman summoned them inside. The rank smell of battery acid made Ian wrinkle his nose as he entered the den. He had never been to see Starman before, and all of this was new to him. He gripped his older brother's hand, determined not to cry or say anything wrong. As his eyes adjusted to the dim light, Ian saw the metal monster his brother and sister called Starman. He was roughly conical in shape, made of machine parts, and with two thin arms protruding from his battered body, there was a large, jagged hole in his side, and Ian could see something dark and wet glimmering inside. On the way there, Terry had explained to Ian that many years ago Starman had built the small den for himself out of strange bits and pieces, and he was trapped inside it. The den looked like a pile of junk, really. Starman was old. He didn't see so well, and he found it hard to move around. Starman seemed excited. His head swiveled about and his one eye lit up at the sight of them. He had news. The signal has been sent. His harsh, grating voice came as a shock to Ian. It didn't sound like anyone he had ever heard before. You got the transmitter working? Ange grinned. For weeks she had been bringing him bits and pieces from her dad's toolbox and shed. She had even nicked one or two electrical parts from her technology class. It is sent. This night it will be heard, Starman said. It must be. This is our younger brother, Terry told him, pushing Ian closer to the bumps on Starman's shell that he had said were sensors. Terry was having second thoughts about having brought Ian along. He was only a little kid. What if he blabbed to Mum? Ian stared and said, It's the monster. The monster in the woods. Explain, demanded Starman. It's just a story, Ange added hurriedly. That's what some people say around here. Mum says we should stay away from the woods because there's a monster. Starman extended his electronic arms. One was a car aerial with a claw, and the other was a sink plunger. And the children saw that he was making minute adjustments to an extraordinary machine in the corner of his den. Part of it was an old-fashioned radiogram that the children had found at the town dump, its wires and circuitry had been yanked out and welded together in a bizarre new arrangement, incorporating all sorts of household objects. Now it was blinking and humming and changing its tune slightly as Starman delicately turned dials. Soon there will no longer be a monster in the woods, he said, grinding out the words. You will fetch one more item 
to ensure the message repeats and repeats. If we can help, of course, said Ange. We can come back tomorrow, perhaps, after school. Now! You will bring it now! Starman ordered angrily. His aerial arm lashed out and its claw grasped hold of Ian, who cried out in alarm. Starman dragged the small child towards him abruptly. The infant will stay with me here until you do. Look, Joe, fond as I am of Miss Orthorn and her fellow villagers at Devil's End, I'm afraid I won't be traipsing halfway across the country for a Halloween shindig tonight. Joe Grant was already dressed up as a black cat, with whiskers, ears, and a furry tail. She had brought the doctor his tea in the unit laboratory, expecting to find him ready to race off in Bessie to enjoy the festivities. Olive will be so disappointed, she said glumly. Joe had been looking forward to catching up with the friendly white witch and reminiscing about their adventures. The doctor was deep in contemplation of a sophisticated lash-up that was presumably all to do with his endless efforts to get the tardies working again. You humans really do have the silliest festivals, he said, staring intently at the machine. What is that thing, anyway? Joe asked. Well, it's what ensures that the temporal circuits never overheat when the TARDIS moves between dimensions. It's like a very tiny... time fridge? He pulled a face at her. Oh, really, Joe? He blinked. Why have you got cat's ears and whiskers on? They were interrupted by an alarm bell from the TARDIS, Joe followed the doctor into the cavernous glowing interior, where the noise was ear-splitting. Oh, it's bound to be something annoyingly urgent, the doctor sighed. Joe covered her ears. Switch it off! I set up this alarm to detect erroneous time technology, said the doctor, his hands roving over the control panels. In case anyone's up to something they ought not to be, or... Using something I might find useful for my own experiments. Aha! It's a kind of transmitter. It's operating from a town not seventy miles from here, and it's broadcasting straight into the time vortex. He looked up with a smile. You were wanting a run-out in the car, weren't you? To a party? Joe tapped her cat's tail wistfully against the console. Not an investigation. But already the doctor was dashing back into the lab and yanking his black velvet opera cloak off the hatstand. He grinned at her as they exited the TARDIS. It's a trip out, isn't it? Ange and Terry made their way back home from the woods, emerging from the undergrowth dishevelled and worried. They wouldn't admit it to one another, but they were terrified of what Starman would do to their little brother if they couldn't find the object he needed. How could we just leave him? Anne thought frantically. Even for a minute. He's only just started infant school, and 
We left him there in the woods with... with Starman. She and Terry had tried to look as if they were just pretending and playing a game. Ian had been so brave, but the electronic arm that held him was clearly nipping his skin. Ange had seen the tears welling up in his eyes. We'll be back as soon as we can, she had promised. They took a shortcut through the building site, where new houses stood half-built, with moats of deep, muddy puddles, and surrounded by machinery that looked like frozen, prehistoric monsters. He'll be okay, Ange said, trying to reassure herself as much as Terry. Mom is going to kill us, Terry whispered. They slipped back into the quiet streets of their estate. By now, most of the kids had gone home for the night. The street lamps cast a sickly yellow glow over everything, and the tarmac glistened. Starman's our friend, Ange continued. He won't hurt Ian. What do we really know about him, Ange? Terry replied angrily. He's a monster. Did you see the way he grabbed hold of him? Our Ian's a, a hostage! Ange gulped. Terry was right. Then we just have to do exactly what he told us, don't we? As they let themselves into their garden, Ange was thinking about the first time they'd found Starman, weeks ago, down in that wooded dell. They'd seen ice-blue lights flickering through the trees, and had steeled themselves to approach. They found him in his den, where he had lived secretly for so many years, tinkering with his machines, repairing his own body, talking about escape. He'd been frightening, but friendly enough. He talked a bit funny and shouted sometimes, but Ange and Terry had been entranced by him. A talking robot, Terry had gasped. That hadn't pleased Starman at all. I am not a robot, he shrieked. I am a superior being. When they finally got home, they could hear their parents rowing before they even opened the door. Oh, they're at it again, said Terry with a sigh. Judging by the broken crockery, and smeared food on the kitchen lino. Their parents must have started fighting shortly after Dad had got home. The ruckus now blared from the living room, louder than the telly. Look at it this way, Anne said. They won't notice us creeping in and out again. Her heart was beating like crazy. What if they came face to face with Mum? How would they explain that a robot was holding Ian prisoner? But the adults were too absorbed in their fighting to notice. Come on, Terry said, heading upstairs. It's in my room. They had come to fetch the old 1960s tape recorder Granny Barnes had given them. It had spools of magnetic tape the size of dinner plates, just the things Starman needed for looping and repeating his message to outer space. It was in a leatherette carry case, a family heirloom, the kids were loath to hand it over, as the tape held recordings of long-gone family members, aunts, Granny Barnes herself, and even Dad, 
when he was little, singing at Christmas. All these recordings would be lost if they took the recorder into the woods. We have to, insisted Ange, seeing a moment of doubt flicker across Terry's face. He's got in. We must do exactly as he says. I wish we'd never met Starman, Terry said. The doctor's mouth was set in a determined line as he gripped the steering wheel of his vintage yellow roadster, Bessie. You've hardly said a word all the way down the motorway, Joe shouted over the shrieking of the wind. Glancing at her, the doctor's expression softened. I'm sorry, Joe. It's just that for a moment I was alarmed by the energy signature of that transmission. It could be the most ghastly news. Oh, she said, trying to look confident. Well, I'm sure we'll be able to deal with it, whatever it is. She had absolute faith in the doctor, and her smile cheered him up as he veered abruptly off the motorway at the turn-off for New Alberton, a modern and obscure little town that appeared to be the epicentre of the cosmic transmission. It's such an ordinary place, Joe said minutes later as they surveyed the housing estates and rows of identical boxy houses. But by now she knew, after a couple of years with Unit and the Doctor, that looks could be deceiving, and there was no such thing as a completely ordinary place. The Doctor produced a sophisticated-looking homing device that pulsed with green light. We are very close, the kids knew it was much too late for them to be out, but what could they do? Starman kept a tight grip on Ian as he worked on the tape recorder. He displayed little gratitude and hardly said a word as he picked apart the device, tugging the shiny tape from its spools. Eventually, Ange spoke up. Can we take our little brother home, please? Mum will be frantic. Starman wheezed mechanically as he went about his work. It'll be worse for you, Terry said bravely. If she phones the police and everyone comes looking for us, they'll search everywhere, especially the woods. They'll find you. I will defend myself as I have done before. Neither Ange nor Terry knew what that meant. But there were many horrible tales of people disappearing forever in these woods. Hence the local legend to do with the monster. Now the machine was rattling and hissing as the tape ran round. Starman was speaking in an unknown tongue, repeating phrases. The children imagined his message spiralling into the stars. Will they come to get you? asked Ange. I do not know. Don't you have family? Terry said. Others like you will be worried about you, will want to see you again. Starman said, I have no family. If it proves advantageous to them, the Daleks will come here, perhaps. His eye stalk flashed cobalt blue. And if they come... They will conquer this. He stopped abruptly. His machine was emitting a high-pitched noise. 
My message has been intercepted. A green light was blinking busily. By your kind? Terry asked. Starman swiveled round to shout at the children. No! By our enemy! He is approaching! You must bring him here to me at once! Uh, who? asked Ange. Who must me bring? The one they call Doctor! shrieked Starman. At once! Joe and the Doctor had spent almost an hour wandering the labyrinthine streets of the estate. Joe was becoming uneasy about what they were supposed to be on the lookout for. When they reached the small playground, she sat on a swing and asked him straight out. The Doctor rubbed the back of his neck and told her, There's a Dalek ship somewhere in this town, she gasped. A small one. Clearly lost and out of phase. Probably it was travelling back from the 22nd century and all the mischiefs they caused there. I remember, said Joe, reflecting that she'd hardly describe the mayhem she'd witness in the future as simple mischief. Look, shouldn't we have told the brig straight away? The doctor pulled a face. I'm not having the brigadier swarming down here, mob-handed with tanks and helicopters. I want to see what's going on first. At that moment, Joe became aware of a movement in the mist at the other side of the playground. Two figures came to stand underneath the yellow lamp. Look, she said, pointing at them. The doctor's head jerked round. Who is that? he asked sharply. Joe got to her feet. They're only children, Doctor. Don't scare them. She hurried past the slide and came face to face with Ange and Terry. Straight away she could tell there was something terribly wrong. It's nearly midnight. What are you doing out so late? He, he's got our kid brother, miss, Terry burst out, and he won't let him go. Who has? Who's got your brother? He has. Anne said, the monster, he's been getting us to help with his machine, and it's been okay, but tonight he's finished it and the thing's working, and he's gone nasty, and he's taken our kid brother. Who is this person? Joe asked. The doctor crossed the playground in two strides, his cloak billowing behind him. His white hair glowed in the harsh streetlight, and the two children shrank back. You better tell us at once. If I'm right, we're all in the most terrible danger. Hey, we can take you to him, said Terry, reaching out to grab Joe's hand. Over the years, there had been other children and some adults who had strayed into the woods and made the monster's acquaintance. Some had been almost as useful as the barn's children. Starman remembered one child in particular. Perhaps as many as twenty Earth years ago, who had brought him a box full of lead soldiers when the Dalek had demanded a supply of metal. The little boy had brought his most treasured possessions quite willingly and watched as the Dalek had heated them up and melted them into a brilliant shining soup, which he then used to fix the shielding around his interior shell. Almost too late. 
for the cracks in his interior caused by the crash landing had partly exposed his vulnerable innermost self to the noxious pollutants of the Terran atmosphere. But the molten soldiers had done their work and saved him. Yes, that boy, twenty years ago, had saved his life. It had almost been a pity when the time had come to exterminate him. Pity? The Dalek checked himself. Why was that word even in his vocabulary? Let alone in his thoughts and memories. He was more polluted than he had realized. If only his laser weapon still worked as it had sixty years ago. Please! The human creature they called Ian was whimpering. What if they can't find this man? What will you do, Starman? The Dalek ignored him. He was feeling annoyed by this present generation of helpers. He noticed that the green light was flashing more frenetically. They have located him! They have brought him into the woods! Who is it? Ian asked. He is our greatest! They were interrupted by a great burst of laughter. You're hardly the scourge of the galaxy, are you? Came a voice that sounded both young and old, loud and soft, confident and yet filled with wonder. Ian stared as the stranger crouched to enter the tiny den. He was followed by a lady with blonde hair. Then Ian's brother and sister. Doctor! Oh, dear, dear, you are in a bad way. Separated from your fleet, away from your bombs and armies. You will obey me, the Dalek shrieked. I'll do nothing of the sort, old chap. What's the matter with it? asked Joe. You're far from the time and place you're meant to be. You're stuck here, the doctor continued. Rather like myself. Exactly, Starman said. We know about your exile to this time zone. You do? The doctor frowned. News of your shame traveled far and wide. Your enemies rejoiced. The man in the cloak looked briefly annoyed. Why are you involving these children in your undoubtedly wicked schemes? They are helping me, as others have in the past. Yes, mused the doctor. It looks like you've patched yourself up with all kinds of bits and pieces of junk. It's like a scrapyard in here. I congratulate you on your ingenuity. But this can't go on. All at once, an ice-blue glare surrounded the Dalek. Rippling along his outer shell, Ian felt it creeping coldly up his arm and all over his own body. Hey, hey, what's he doing to Ian? shouted Ange. Make him stop. Doctor, do something, gasped Joe. Dalek, said the doctor, in a very calm voice. These are hatchlings you are threatening, juveniles. You will not hurt them. You will do as I command, doctor, or they will die. Very well. My message has been sent to the Vortex. To summon the Dalek fleet. No, 
cried Joe. If you help me, I will stop them invading this planet. Ah, said the doctor. Who'd want to invade 1973? Your lot are much more interested in the future. They would come here for you. The doctor narrowed his eyes. Your years of seclusion have sharpened your cunning. He stepped closer, and the crackling intensified. Let the boy go, and I will help you. The clawed arm relinquished Ian, who jumped with surprise. He rubbed the marks on his skin and flew into Angie's arms. The doctor was examining his enemy. Yes, I can see that you do need help, don't you? You're blind, aren't you? And you've no weapon. Your arms are actually kitchen implements. Oh, dear. His voice became hushed, betraying his scientific curiosity. Now he was close enough to see that the Dalek's metallic chest cavity was badly smashed. Inside there was a glint of silvery material. It looked rather like a large, primitive tooth filling. There was even in the darkness a shimmer of topaz and green flesh belonging to the Dalek mutant deep within the shell. It was a wonder this creature was still alive. Joe, would you help me? And you others too. He won't hurt you now. We must carry him and his strange machine to my car. Where are we taking him? asked Joe. Back to unit headquarters, said the Time Lord. We're going to help him as best we can. Joe and the children exchanged worried glances. Thank you, Doctor, Starman said, painfully. It was a hellish journey back through the dark woods. The gaps between the trees were narrow, and the branches seemed to lash out purposefully, snagging and trying to drag them back. Among the junk in the den, they had found a set of pram wheels the Dalek had once tried to make use of, and now his middle section sat lopsidedly on top, with the doctor pushing from behind. The three children carried the heavy, mutilated radiogram between them. If you attempt to stop the message, my machine will self-destruct and destroy you, the Dalek warned. Yes, I thought it might. The doctor smiled. Oh, come on, Joe, push! Only a few lights were on this late in the houses near the car park. The mist was thicker than ever as they wheeled closer to Bessie. It took some time to manoeuvre the Dalek onto the back seat, with his machine squashed beside him, still bleeping and blinking away. Say your goodbyes, the doctor told the children. We'll never see him again, asked Ian. You are free of your bond, Starman told them. You should thank them for helping you, Joe said. Be grateful you have survived our time together, was the best the Dalek could do. All right, old chap, that's enough of the sentimental farewells, the doctor chuckled. He took off his cloak and made it like a tarpaulin over the Dalek's head. Then he looked at the children. Yeah, you lot had 
best go back to your parents. They'll be out of their minds with worry, said Joe. It's gone midnight. Ange, Terry and Ian were much more interested in finding out what was going to happen next. But they stood back as the funny old-fashioned car revved its powerful engines and roared off much faster than they might have expected. Well, that's the children out of harm's way, said the doctor. Now to deal with the rest of it. The Dalek's blind and unarmed, isn't it? Why are you still doing what it wants? The doctor tapped his nose. There's a lot I can learn from a helpless Dalek, even a mad and injured one. Its mind is a vast storehouse of future technology. Joe suddenly realized. He's after the Dalek version of the time travel codes. He's doing this all for himself. The doctor put his foot on the accelerator, and Joe spent the journey back to unit headquarters, fretting about the ominously quiet Dalek in the back of the car. In the small hours of the morning, they arrived back at the stately home where Unit had its British headquarters. The guards were quite used to the doctor coming and going at strange times, often bringing with him bizarre equipment, so they waved him sleepily through the main gates. We don't want them taking too close a look at what we're carrying, he muttered, swerving round to the muse buildings at the back of the complex. Joe questioned the wisdom of what he was attempting. They were smuggling a Dalek into the very heart of Unit HQ. Are we getting out of our depth here? she wondered. All right there, old chap, the doctor asked, as they manhandled the bulky alien out of the car. Are you sure you don't want me to fetch Mike or Sergeant Benton to help? The doctor shot her a severe look. Keeping the doctor's cloak draped over their enemy, they pushed him on his improvised wheels into the shrouded corridors of the main building. "'Your TARDIS is here somewhere,' said the Dalek. Its voice made Joe jump. "'I can sense its power!' "'That's right,' said the doctor, patting the alien's dome with mock fondness. Now, shush, we're going to take you and your marvellous space telegraph machine to my laboratory, and then we can have a little chat. After what seemed a horribly long and tense interval, they were installed in the lab and Joe watched as the doctor examined the ruined Dalek. Their captive stared, meanwhile, with rapt attention at the police box shell of the TARDIS. This is the ship that has taken you all over the galaxy, warring with my race for countless millennia. I suppose it is, yes, the doctor smiled modestly. Though I do other things beside fight the Daleks, you know. You are a conceited lot, aren't you? Now, don't overexcite yourself, my dear fellow. He peered into the cankered and mildewed interior of the Daleks' casing, astonished once more that the creature was still alive. A single 
purple eye stared back from deep within the Dalek shell. It blinked sadly at the doctor. Now, this message of yours to your people, I want you to stop it. Tell them there is nothing for them here in 1973. The Dalek laughed croakily a sound that made Joe's skin crawl. She had never heard a Dalek laugh before. The doctor became annoyed. I'll turn it off myself. How do I work this? He hovered over the primitive radiogram. Tell me. More gurgling laughter. You know, said the doctor crossly, if the Daleks actually respond and come here, they won't want anything to do with you. What do you lot want? Purity? Perfection? You're far from that. You're patched together, falling apart. How long have you lived here? Over sixty Terran years. I crash-landed before that human town was ever built, when it was all woods. The doctor stared at him calmly. And in that time, you have been terribly injured and slowly going half-mad. Only half-mad! The laughter stopped. They'll want nothing to do with you. The doctor shook his head. They will exterminate you. No! said the monster from the woods. They will see that I have brought them to you, doctor. You will be a prize for them. They will be grateful to me. They will destroy you. As a result of living sixty years on Earth, you have mutated. You have lived among humans, depended upon them. Look how you let that smallest child go free. You even regretted holding him hostage. I could hear it in your voice. You're developing a conscience, aren't you? No! the Dalek cried. Joe glanced sharply at the doctor. The conversation was becoming noisy. A part of her wished they be heard, so that soldiers would come rushing to their rescue. Halt that message, said the doctor, and I will save your life. He held aloft the elegant wand of his sonic screwdriver, plus another device Joe recognized. I can fix your shielding permanently. You're dying, aren't you? That's why everything's become so urgent for you lately. You know you have little time left. The Dalek's eye dimmed slightly. Very well. Help me. The message I transmitted. It would never reach my kind anyway. It was designed only to capture your attention, Doctor. The Doctor raised an eyebrow. Well, that's something. Now you can tell me something else. The time codes. Give me access to the Dalek time travel codes, then I will help you. The creature was puzzled. Is that why you brought me here? Not out of fear for the humans, but so that I would help you fix your TARDIS? It laughed raspingly again. Foolish doctor, to stake so much, to take such a risk on such a stupid hope. What do you mean? I am a lowly trooper, 
I know nothing of time travel. I know so little. I don't believe you, said the doctor. If I am beyond repair, my only logical remaining function is to destroy you. What? Joe jumped in alarm. Doctor, he's glowing. What's happening? Oh, the doctor looked worried as a strange golden glow suffused the Dalek. Um, I may have miscalculated. What? I believe he's going to blow himself up. Joe was rooted to the spot in shock. The doctor added, he'll take the whole of Unit HQ with him if he puts his mind to it. Do something, Doctor! Waves of scarlet energy were now rippling over the cracked hull of the Dalek. His maniacal laughter seemed to fill Joe's whole mind. I was rather hoping not to have to do this, said the Doctor. He held up the device Joe had seen him working on yesterday evening. He shot his cuffs like a stage magician and gained the Dalek's attention. He was holding up the thing Joe had dubbed the Time Fridge. I'm reversing the polarity of this handy implement's neutron flow, said the doctor, buzzing it with his sonic screwdriver. Then he tossed it into the cavity in the Dalek shell. Will that help? Joe shouted into the rapidly worsening din. Well, hopefully it'll make things better rather than worse. But will it stop him from blowing us all sky high? The doctor looked sorrowful, almost ashamed. He said, It will melt his heart. What? The device will heat up rather than cool, and it will boil the lead that he shielded his mutant self with. The effect will be, I'm afraid, quite deadly. The Dalek's pulsating light show ended abruptly. He was no longer capable of building up the energy required to self-destruct. What have you done to me? he shrieked. Doctor, what is this burning? This heat? What have you put inside my heart? Joe looked away as the doctor stepped up to address his enemy. I'm so sorry about this. You were going to help me. You said you were going to help. I've killed you, said the doctor. I'm sorry. I had no other choice. Joe tried to close her ears to the Daleks' dying cries. They became so loud that they attracted military attention at last. It didn't take long for the Dalek to die, or for Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart to come and marvel at the remains. He stared in amazement at the Doctor. Well done for stopping him, Doctor, the Brigadier said. No, old chap, save your congratulations. This was a failure on my part. We might have learned so much from him, the doctor said ruefully. He would have blown us all into tomorrow, said Joe. Such ingenuity, said the doctor. Such cunning. What a terrible waste. The brigadier slapped his back. It was a monster. 
They're all monsters. Joe saw that this night had cost the doctor greatly. He was developing a conscience, wasn't he? He let that child Ian go. But he forced me to destroy him. He forced me to do it. Joe knew the doctor would never forget what he had learned this Halloween. <laughs>